Welcome to Newcastle Family History Society podcasts. The Newcastle Family History Society, located on a Awabakal land in Newcastle, New South Wales, Australia, provides support for those interested in family history. This podcast is the second in the series on the Newcastle Industrial School and Reformatory. In the last episode, we heard about life in New South Wales in the 1860s and 70s, the measures taken by the government and the courts to deal with problem children and how the decision to research this part of our history came about. Jane Ison continues the story looking at the early admissions and the impact that the inadvertent but illegal admissions of older streetwise girls had on the school. It all began with such great expectations. Henry Parks's brand new 1866 law proposed to care for, educate and find employment for the wild children of New South Wales by sending boys to the industrial school ship Vernon and girls to the industrial school at Newcastle. The government would pay. What could go wrong? In February 1868, some six months after the first inmates arrived in Newcastle, the Sydney Morning Herald reported on Parks's first visit and described the school in glowing terms, but a careful listener can detect the first rumblings of trouble. The school is situated near the summit of the hill on which the city is built and is only a very short distance from the cliffs overlooking the Pacific. The situation is cheerful and salubrious and the views to be obtained from the grounds are varied and picturesque. The schoolrooms, dormitories and other apartments are spacious and airy and there is a large enclosed paddock surrounding the premises. The number of inmates in the school at the present time is 67, but the building is capable of affording ample accommodation for many more. Nearly all the inmates are very young, but none of them are under six years of age. They have been sent from different parts of the colony, north, south and west, and here they find what many of them before were utter strangers to, a home. Doubtless the restraint necessarily imposed on the first instance must, for the time, have been irksome. But most of the children have now become accustomed, if not attached, to the school, and their healthy appearance, their cheerfulness and their childish gaiety betoken that they are happy in their new abode. One or two of the elder girls have, however, endeavoured to escape. The paper reproduced in full the sometimes judgmental, generally uplifting but rather wordy speech which Parks made to the girls. He finished by saying, Whatever the past may have been, you do not now live under any disadvantage that may not be overcome. If you had been left in the state of vice and misery where the law found you, none would have been found to respect and few to pity you and you must indeed have eaten the bread of bitterness. Privation and disease with unwomanly associations would have been your lot, followed in many instances by an untimely death. Now it rests with yourselves, one and all, to be respectable women. If you take advantage of the present opportunities afforded you, many of you may become heads of families, possessing property and influence and enjoying the respect of good men and women. But remember, 
You must face trial and difficulty, resist temptation, and strive resolutely to attain this. I want you to look upon life hopefully, and at the same time, try to understand your duty and try to do it. Parks gave the girls the opportunity for questions, and they generally replied that they had been well treated. One or two of the older girls, however, complained that their hair had been cut off. Hmm. Interesting and intriguing. A breakdown of the first admission shows why there were early difficulties. The first girls sent to Newcastle arrived together and were admitted by Agnes King, the matron superintendent, on the 31st of August, 1867. Sydney always operated as a collection hub for any arrested girls from across the state, and they then travelled by ship to Newcastle. Sea transport was a big expense for the government and became one of the reasons the school was eventually moved back to Sydney. By the time Parks visited the school in 1868, there were 57 girls in the register, not the 67 reported in the paper. None were under six, but only 17 were under 10. The other 40 girls were over 10 and 15 of them were 16 or more years old. At this time, ages were inaccurate for many reasons, but for this first group of old girls, many had lied in court. They didn't realise that an arrest under the Act meant at least a year away from their family and no early release for good behaviour or extreme youth. Some had already spent time in jail where they tended to be released quicker if they said they were young. All these girls were used to considerable freedom, usually on the streets of Sydney, working. On their arrival, Dr Richard Harrison diligently outlined their health and informed the colonial secretary, naming individual girls and outlining any signs of virginity or not or whether they had any sexually transmitted diseases and what they were. Some of these older girls were eventually released to their parents, but not before they caused a lot of trouble. They tended to be the early escapees from the school. The first and eldest girl admitted to the school was recorded as Eliza Moore, although this wasn't her name. She was arrested with her nine-year-old sister, Teresa. A warrant had been taken out by the constables of Sydney to facilitate their arrest from their mother's house in Ultimo. Eliza and Teresa were daughters of the couple Benjamin Hanmore and Margaret Clark, who had never married. Benjamin was a convict and Margaret was the daughter of convicts. The newspaper report of Eliza's arrest said she was 15 and this age was confirmed by her mother, who declared that Eliza would turn 16 early in 1868. The police believed that she was under 16 and deposed that her sister is a prostitute and resides in the same house. Her mother sends her children out selling pipe clay, that she is in the habit of associating with young prostitutes, that they have visited the house in which she resides and never saw a bed fit for a human being to lie upon. Her mother is not a fit person to have charge of her, and last night, after her apprehension, she said that they could do nothing with her 
as she would say that she is over the age of 16 and that she would continue to live as she had done. Eliza had already done time in a Darlinghurst jail by the time of this arrest. In 1863, four years earlier, she and her older sister were charged with being very riotous in George Street. In court, they were described as well-known common prostitutes, living with other young girls in the hut of an old man, their father, on the Ultimo estate. He got his living by sending the girls he harboured out for the purposes of prostitution. On Eliza's arrival in Newcastle, she was true to her word, as her age in the entrance book was recorded as 19, and this was, in fact, her actual age. After about a month in the school, Eliza and a Julia Cunningham made the very first escape by climbing through one of the back windows and lowering themselves to the ground by descending the downwater piping. Their escape was reported, but they could not be found, so the police were notified. The girls were finally captured and spent time in the Newcastle lockup, as there were no cells provided at the school. The pair appeared in the Newcastle court, were reprimanded and were returned to the school. Soon after, Eliza's mother successfully proved that Eliza was too old. Because she had been illegally arrested, Eliza was released. She is one of the girls who has not been able to be traced and disappears from the records in about 1901. Her younger sister Teresa stayed in Newcastle, was apprenticed, then married and raised a family. The older girls were adept at escape and befriended men and youths by chatting to them over the school fence in order to enlist their support. These men then helped, encouraged and frequently hid the escapees from authorities. Mass escapes occurred, so rounding the girls up was time-consuming for staff and police. One group of three girls managed to get all the way to Sydney before being re-arrested. Others escaped into the bush around the town and suburbs. But these older girls were not the only escapees. Mary Ann Kinnaird, also known as Mary Ann Kinnear, was 11 when she was admitted from Maitland. She was the daughter of the Tasmanian convict Thomas Kinnear and Mary Ann Mantle, who was the daughter of convicts. Thomas varied his name according to the circumstances. When things were good, he was generally referred to as Kinnaird, but for court appearances, he used the surname Kinnear. His family did the same. On the 8th of January 1869, Mary Ann stole a gold ring and some china ornaments from one Margaret Mare in Maitland. She had asked for a drink of water, and while Mare was fetching the water, Mary Ann used the opportunity to steal the objects. In court, her teacher deposed that he had taken the objects from her and that she had both denied taking them as well as being at Mare's house. This wasn't Mary Ann's first theft, as there had been two earlier appearances in court in September and October 1868. The Newcastle Chronicle called her an old offender. Even though Mary Ann had been convicted of a theft, she was admitted to the industrial school because the reformatory had not yet been established. Mary Ann lasted a week before, at about four in the morning, on the 16th of January, she escaped 
and returned home to her parents in Maitland. She walked, following the train line. The Maitland Mercury reported that she had been seen on that night on the railway line by some women proceeding in the direction of Maitland, and when questioned by them, she said she had been sent to look for a bundle that her aunt had dropped from the train. When she arrived at home, she accounted for her return to her father by informing him that Mr Parks had sent an order that no more children were to be taken to the school, and so she came home. Marianne was rearrested and taken back to Newcastle. When the industrial school was moved to Billawheeler on Cockatoo Island in Sydney, Marianne transferred too. She and her father Thomas feature prominently in the letters to the colonial secretary regarding Marianne's time in Newcastle and later in Billawheela. A complaint made by Thomas was also sent to his local member and was brought up in Parliament. Marianne was apprenticed from Billawheela but soon returned to Newcastle and lived variously in Church Street, Blaine Street, which is now called Hunter Street, and Lake Macquarie Road, now known as Derby Street. Court appearances continued to appear in the newspapers, but eventually Marianne married, had seven daughters, and died in Sydney in 1942 at the ripe old age of 88. Listeners can learn more about Marianne Kinnear, also known as Kinnaird, Eliza Hanmore, and all the other Newcastle admissions by reading about their lives in their individual biographies on my website. Their adventures made for an interesting time for the inhabitants of inner-city Newcastle in the 1860s and 1870s. The good things that happened at the school were far overwhelmed by the bad publicity about the escapes made by the inmates and by the four major riots that occurred there. The residents around the school found the atmosphere increasingly unpleasant. In the next episode in this series, I will investigate the best documented of these riots and share some of the accounts that were sent to Sydney and never published in the newspaper reports at the time. Be sure to tune in again to the next episode in this series on the Newcastle Industrial School and Reformatory, where Jane will give an account of the riots that occurred during the time the school was in Newcastle, looking closely at both sides of the first riot and outlining the lives of some of those involved. And for more detail on Jane's research, visit her website, nis.wiki.com. You may also like, on your chosen podcast app, to subscribe, follow us, or turn on notifications for Newcastle Family History Society podcasts. We look forward to you joining us again.